Beginning the Trek, a 52-episode introduction to Star Trek. Welcome to Beginning the Trek, a 52-episode introduction to Star Trek. My name is Andy Goldberg, and I have been a Star Trek fan all my life. And my good friend Jessica asked me to share Star Trek with her, so we created a podcast. Every episode is new for me, and I hope other newbies are joining me on this journey because it's curated so that you don't get lost until you get to the good stuff. So this is all the good stuff. This is episode 12, and we are watching City on the Edge of Forever. The City on the Edge of Forever. I don't want to get in trouble with my Trekkie brethren. The City on the Edge of Forever. So if you haven't seen it, obviously we're going to spoil everything by talking about it. So turn this off, go watch it, and then come right back. And if this is your first time with us on Beginning the Trek, we think it's best if you start your journey from the beginning as well with episode one. All right. So now that we've told everybody we're going to ruin it, let's go ahead and ruin it. It's your turn to do the synopsis. Do you have it? I do. Okay, so this is my 10-sentence synopsis of the classic original series Star Trek episode, The City on the Edge of Forever. All right, here we go. While in orbit around a newly discovered planet, the Enterprise encounters strange ripples in time, which act like speed bumps as they orbit. An accident prompts a heroic McCoy to cure an injured Sulu with a timely injection of two perfectly measured drops of cortrazine, but an ill-timed bump mixed with some pretty sloppy handling of the hypospray totally doses McCoy. McCoy goes crazy, breaks out all over his face, escapes down to the planet, so Kirk has to take a search party down there to find him, enlisting Spock, Scotty, and Uhura. What they find is the Guardian of Forever, an ancient artifact with the power to display history and even allow passage back in time. Without warning, McCoy leaps through the Guardian, and the Enterprise is suddenly gone, leading to the inescapable conclusion that McCoy has somehow altered history and we need to set things right or we'll be stranded forever. So this is shaping up to be a really interesting episode with some time travel, a nice chance for Scotty, Uhura, and McCoy to shine, but alas, it's not to be, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that I'm already on sentence number seven, and there's no way that I could describe the city on the edge of forever in the three remaining sentences, but I'm telling you that I can do it in two. Spock, I believe I'm in love with Edith Keeler. Jim. Edith Keeler must die. Seriously. This is the city on the edge of forever. Just go watch it. <laughs> and that's 10. Nice. How about that? I couldn't think of another way to do this synopsis and do justice to it. It is such a beautiful episode. I cannot imagine spoiling this for anyone. So please, please, people, if you haven't seen this episode or don't know what it's about or it's been any length of time that makes you forget it all, go back and watch it. It's just too good. This one hits you in the feels. It kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah. So why don't we get to that next section and start talking episode? All right, then let's talk episode. Then let's talk episode, The City on the Edge of Forever. Oh, you look so excited to talk. We have... So much to say. This episode is, I think, going to be a lot like Journey to Babel, where there's just so much packed into one thing. So what do you want to start with? Because I've got notes about all kinds of stuff. 
Did you like it? I did. I liked this very much. Do you want me to give my rating up front, like right now? If, if you want to give your rating, you're more than you're more than welcome to give your rating. Do you? How many stars? Or, or what? I don't even. What? What? What is the scale that you'll be using this time? My scale will be the Guardians of Forever on a scale of one Guardian of Forever to five Guardian of Forever. One being the least warpy, and five being the best warpy. Mm-hmm. It has a four. A four. So I really, really liked it. Yeah. But there was, but there was one specific. Well, okay, there was two specific things. Poor McCoy. Uh, <laughs> there was pretty much one specific thing that I was just like, I got to drop a star for this because it's. Uh, but uh, excellent, excellent episode. Truly. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you are you. You're tough. Tough Raider, I got it. But yeah. But, so I'm, I'm like curious to hear what that was. But let's not do that one first. Let's right. let's start with McCoy because okay, you know, let's bury the lead. Let's uh-huh. let's let's <laughs> make right. them. Let's make them. And really, let's make me wait because let's make you wait. I know you've been waiting for this. We know this is about Kirk and Spock and the adventure that they have. Oh, because you don't see anything else. And the adventure right, that right. happens, not, not just that they have, but the stuff that happens with them. This is actually really perfect because I really, when this started out, I was like, oh, I'm going to get to see a journey that is all about McCoy. And then that ended up being not the case at all because it's really all about Edith Keeler and Kirk and Spock and that journey. And my big impression with McCoy then ended up being that this is really, really overplayed. Uh, he does a good job, but wow, it's a lot to take. Yeah, and God, I just I love DeForest Kelly, and when he's on, he's on, and I'm um I'm a little frustrated. You're right by this, what they gave him to do, not what he did with it, because he did everything he could do with. Okay, we're gonna put this crazy makeup on you. Very need crazy, to be crazy and and. DeForest Kelly is such a phenomenal actor, and when he has the opportunity, and, and it happens in the show, we've seen it. We've it, seen he's it. He's great. And when and, and he was sort of just the reason to get everybody down right. to the planet. And yeah, it's a little bit of a someone. A couple of people I, I refer to it as they kind of gumbify him. They turn him into Gumby. He becomes however dumb or however smart he needs to be each episode. Yeah. And in, in this, they needed him to be, you know, we wild. Just need you to, well, yeah, be wild, jump through the thing, and then we'll pick up your story later, and then you can drop that act. Right. <laughs> Which is pretty much what happens, right? Yeah. And I did notice, I, I had this thought while watching it, I don't think anyone would make up a TV star like that nowadays. It is hard enough to get a star who wears a helmet for the appropriate amount of time or a face mask. In sci-fi, there is constantly a danger of, oh, this alien virus or, oh, this thing, this alien planet, we have to wear a helmet. And then the second it's the second they can ver- justify it, off goes the helmet, off goes the mask because you have to see the face. So the fact that McCoy, not even McCoy, the, the fact that, oh, the De- DeForester? DeForest okay. Kelly? DeForest, the fact that DeForest Kelly plays that with all of the like pus and red and it's really gross is good for him (laughs) i wonder if there was any objection be like do you really need to make me look this crazy that's a lot on the face Uh, yes 
Um, I, I don't need to apologize for this. They needed to. They that that was that was their makeup choice. That was what they. Mm-hmm. I I it was. I thought it was too much over the top too. Uh, when McCoy after he shot himself with the cordrazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, cordrazine. Not cortisone. No, cordrazine. <laughs> two drops. Awesome. More than two drops. That's the standard dosage. Two drops. Right. Um, is what they said. A couple of drops. And then later, two drops. Uh, <laughs> this is, you're right. This is the one silly part of this before we get to the fun. Um, and then as he, as he's like going into the turbo lift, to get away, this poor guy in a blue smock is in the turbo lift, just like to like I don't even know what the heck he thought he was going to the bridge for, but he's just there so that McCoy oh, can grab him and throw him, him and- at Kirk, right? So that he can get yes. away. And I just it was like, dude, you were on screen for two seconds, but there you go, dude, you got your moment. If we're gonna give shout outs, then I have to give a shout out to the extra who plays with his beard. Once Spock and uh, Kirk get to the planet, there's just this like random guy who's just like, ah, and he's like playing with his beard and walks right between them. And they just look at him like, that was odd. I was so thrown by him. I was like, what is happening? Okay, that was interesting. Uh, But this, this show had a lot of extras that were kind of fun just because they got to be amongst the homeless the way we thought of and in speaking of that i had to, i had to put myself this is like 20 years after world war 2 30 years after world war 2 world war 1 this is in between world war 1 and world war 2 no 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 i'm talking about the actual actors and the filming oh. of this oh, oh, happened oh um uh 1960 this would have been 67 or- cuz we're back in season 2 right this, this was, was the beginning yeah, this of season was 2 the end of season 1 Oh, okay. So, so, okay. So this would have either been late 68. No, this would have been early 67 would have been when they made this episode. Sometime in 67 would have been when it was aired. So I'll just say 1967. Okay. So then we're going to say like 20 to 25 years after World War II. Uh, about 20. Yeah. About 22, 23 years after. Yeah. All right. So there are still people alive at this time who very much remember World War II. It is a part of their personal history. Really interesting to have that perspective. Yes. Because for me, World War II is history. It is something I have read about. It is very, it's not at all associated with me. I just put into perspective, they are going back in time from the year, star date, whatever, to ancient Earth history that for me actually is history and for people at the time watching this was not history it was their lives it was kind of the aftermath uh or or in some cases yeah people lived through people lived through this yeah yeah they had there were still people alive absolutely people that watched this episode yep lived through that time uh yes and then it kind of i mean as as deep as that gets then i kind of want to know if they had any anachronisms as an aside, I just want to point out that I was trying to figure out exactly what I was going to do for um, my recommendations, my extra recommendations this week. Okay. I just figured it out. Okay. And I've been wanting to do one episode as a recommendation. I'll get to it later. Oh, you're not going to do it now? I suppose I may as well, as long as I, I, I'm already talking about it. So You've got our attention. I have your attention, <laughs> and I've derailed this conversation. We're not getting back to that. So um, let me do, do a couple of recommendations. 
based on. I love, and I'm basing these recommendations on what you talked about, about looking at our history and going back in time to a piece of our history and, and, and taking a look at how Star Trek lives inside of that. Okay. The first one I'm going to recommend is uh, right out of that conversation that we had at the end of The Naked Time when you said, this feels like they're setting us up for something. Yeah, it did. So, so the episode is called Tomorrow is Yesterday. Okay. And in Tomorrow is Yesterday, they go back into the 1960s. Um, and and have to deal with uh, the ramifications of what happens if the whole enterprise gets get, gets thrown back in time. The second one also goes back to the 1960s. This is the one I've been just like dying to, to to recommend, and I finally get to do it. So we're going back to the 1960s. Actually, 1968. Okay. The name of the episode is Assignment Earth. And Jessica, this one actually is. My favorite episode. <gasps> Are you for real about that? I am for You're real. You're declaring about that. this as a real, this is your real number one. It really, really is. All Assignment right. Earth. Okay. And I'm even going to tell you just a little bit about it now because I want you to watch this episode, even though you probably don't have time to. So I'm okay. going to, I'm going to like, I'm going to entice you a little okay. bit. Okay. So. Not only was Assignment Earth a fantastic Star Trek episode, but it was also a pilot for a new TV series about a brand new character named Gary Seven and his assistant named Roberta Lincoln and how they dealt with all kinds of crisis back in the 1960s. All right. Well, the cool thing about Assignment Earth is it's all, it is this pilot for something else um, that Gene Roddenberry was putting. But together. it never got made. Otherwise, I would have heard about it. I'm sure by now. That's that's correct. So tomorrow is yesterday, and Assignment Earth. We're going back in time. Recommendation wise. Let's talk about Edith Keeler. Okay, since that's what this episode was really this this really episode all about. was kind of about Edith Keeler, wasn't she? Mm -hmm. So um, Joan Collins. Have we seen her before in Star Trek? No, no. This was okay. her only. This was her only appearance in Star Trek. I very much enjoyed her character because, unlike other romantic interests for both Kirk and Spock, uh, she is the first one who is, I feel like, her own person. Mm. She's not there as a prop for him to kiss necessarily, and in fact, she's she's not damselly and distressy. Nope. Uh, she saves them. Yep. And that was really great to see. Multiple times. Multiple times. The reason why I really do think, and I don't know if I'm going to call it love. He calls it love. But I think as far as it's going to go is really intense infatuation. Just because I don't know over time. I think we all know that his one true love is the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. uh, so this... His attraction to her is completely based in her optimism and her sweetness and her belief in peace. It is clearly way ahead of their of her time, uh, and that's they say that. And I found that to be ex just refreshing and beautiful. I I very much enjoyed her as a character. Yeah. What's not to love? Right. Really. I mean, I, honestly, she is. 
she is, like you said, Kirk, Kirk and Spock's savior. Mm-hmm. Um, not only savior in that she gives them room and board, but she sort of like gets Kirk to be more genuine. Yeah. Yeah, she does. Like, like I watched that, that first interaction where she says a lie is a, is not a good way to start a, relationship what a great line that totally summed up her character so it, perfect yeah 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 like I, like that you you get in and, and he's like okay and he just comes clean mm-hmm. and and like from that moment on it's like we're just going to be authentic with each other you know mm-hmm. and of course he has tremendous secrets that he has to keep and so much of the story is how he has to grapple with that tell me William Shatner's not a good actor in this. Uh, I thought he did a very good job. I I really did. He was sweet with her. And uh, you can see the change in him in the end when they go jump out of the Guardian Gate. It's it's there. It's it's yeah. pretty powerful. This entire story was very much driven by the emotions. They didn't spend a whole lot of time explaining the time travel. It was super driven by... We love her. We have to fix mm-hmm. this. You don't get to live here with her. She is going to die. Uh, there was no, it was just heavy and a lot and, and really driven by those performances. She's got chops. Like, sh- clearly. She's uh, just in, um, 125 credits. But most of those credits came in the role that she played in Dynasty, which lasted for eight years, called Alexis Carrington. She was Alexis Carrington on Dynasty. It was a a major role for her. But her character here, uh, I thought it was a little bit interesting that she's kind of standoffish, actually. So he takes the time, Kirk takes the time to woo her a little bit, not even a little Mm -hmm. bit, kind of a lot. Uh, They don't immediately go to kissing like he's done before. And I think that's what makes her so attractive. She's her own person in this. This character is, and if she didn't die, she's definitely going places. Unfortunately, she has to die. Yeah. Or does she? Because I want to know why they can't. I mean, there were some questions about the guardian that I have, and I won't. I won't delve too far. I know this is a time travel episode. There's all kinds of crazy nonsense that gets associated with the science of that. Mm-hmm. There's, I'm just going to take the line of this is sci-fi and we get to suspend reality a little bit. But couldn't she have come back with them? I've thought of that too. And other people have. There's no doubt. Everybody has. Yeah. I, I mean, as long as she's not there to influence history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know how it would have activated to allow them to take her. Maybe if they had thought of it before they went back in time and told the guardian, we want to bring somebody back, but they didn't know that that was going to happen until they got there. And the guardian said, Oh, uh, here's the answer. No. Okay. Wow. I, I, the answer, is, the answer no, is no. Because the Guardian. Because, because <laughs> the Guardian said, if we're successful, what, what, what Kirk said, if we're successful, it'll happen. And he said, then you will be returned. So it wasn't until they were successful at restoring the timeline that the Guardian was going to return them. And for that, she has to die. For Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll, yeah. It was right. brilliantly tragic. It really was very kind of Greek 
because you saw it coming and you're like, this is what has to happen. This is the ending. This is, but very, very impactful, I thought. Did you see it? How soon did you see it coming? Oh, the second Spock says there's one version where she's alive and one version she's dead. Uh, I was like, oh, this is going to be kind of, well, uh, uh, the movie that I thought of was um, The Butterfly Effect, Mm -hmm. which was also uh, based almost exactly the same. So I'm sure they took from, it's a pretty basic story, but you have to get rid of the love interest. You have to separate yourself from that for them, for it to be okay. For everything to be okay, you need to sacrifice this. And it made Kirk better. It did. For me, it made Kirk because in the end, his instinct is exactly what Spock is like. And, and Spock is worried the entire time. That's so beautiful. He's, he's such a stand-up friend. Yeah. He doesn't logic at him. Uh, oh, well, okay, a little bit, but not in an un-understanding. He understands. And he's very empathetic towards the captain. And that was, that was really great to see. It was great to see Edith recognize Spock and Kirk's relationship. Mm-hmm. That was really great. It really was. There's a moment when Spock says something to Kirk and she finishes his thought by saying, Captain, even when you don't say it, you say it. And it's Mm -hmm. just this, that beautiful recognition (laughs) of, and even later when, when, when they're talking about, uh, he's always been at your side, you know, and always will be. And you belong someplace else. Mm-hmm. So beautifully yep. written. Very, very intuitive. Very positive. Very. Uh, it's really interesting that they make her the bad guy for wanting peace. And if we're going to get to that, that is why I knocked off a star. Because this idea, and I think the writers could have picked a hundred other kind of revisionist history things that they could do. They picked this one. They picked the, we save lives by taking lives quicker. And it's a very kill baby Hitler logic. Uh, And I had to take it off, not because I disagree with it necessarily, but because Star Trek as a show disagrees with it so intensely. And yet they pushed it. And I, that bothers me. Okay. I got that. I'm going to take a shot at getting a fifth, uh, a fifth Guardian of Forever out of you. Okay. Let's see if I can do this. Um, part of what makes this episode so tragic is that it, it, it goes beyond the love that Kirk has for her. But you became invested in what she's up to. Oh, yeah. You lost her, too. You had to stand there and watch her die. So you feel the way Kirk feels. And you're angry about that. And that's what the writer wanted. The writer wanted us to feel everything that Kirk is feeling there. He wanted us to experience the story the way that he was experiencing it. And you did. And it's so upsetting because you fell in love with her in 52 minutes, the same way we all did. Mm How she managed to do that, was, uh, that's what makes Joan Collins so spectacular in this part, was yeah. we all fell in love with this woman, and then we all had to watch her die. That's the tragedy that the story is about. And so what you're feeling right now is exactly the, what, what they wanted to deliver. 
I know you're right, even if I don't want to admit it. <laughs> that speaks to why it was effective and upsetting. Yeah. But it doesn't speak to, they could have had a lot of other ways to do this. And they chose the one that says, if we make war, mm-hmm. we'll end the war quicker. Well, what they said was, if she delays the Americans getting into the war. Mm-hmm. If she pushes peace. The result will be different. And if the result is different, history doesn't happen the way that it would have happened. Right. It's, it, yeah, it's the tragedy of that. It's also possible that it's just too soon for you. Maybe. I mean, I you know, I have not a whole lot of time between watching this, talking yeah. with you about it. Yeah. And yeah, very much. This is, but this is what this, what we're all about is the first reaction kind of thing. Absolutely. Uh, I really do. They could have, they could have had her change. They could have had McCoy change the timeline in so many ways that still had a love interest for Kirk. That was still really, really effective and sa- sacrificing that. But on the timeline, what they pushed was she pushed peace uh when the war was necessary that's that message it is it is frustrating that it was all about making sure that world war ii happened the way that it happened that's what i mean i get that it, it had to happen because yeah. it is a part of history yeah it's a part of our history it's- you just didn't like that that was the pivotal thing they could have chosen some other pivotal way to yes yes they could have chosen some other pivotal way that she, uh, that was just as impactful in the sacrifice that sure. still left her an innocent that didn't push war necessarily. Sure. I I totally got that. So oh, this is great. So this brings up a different point that I wanted to make about this. So yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. I got <laughs> I I got that. Okay. I think. Um, so I'll go back to the calculations we did at the beginning of this episode when we figured out that this was less than twenty five years after World War Two. Right. And this is an American-made television show. Yes. And our getting into the war in a timely fashion won that war. And that was the environment. The aftermath of that environment is what is when this was written. Right. So it was heroic that the Americans were able to enter the war when they did. That's the perception, yes. And it certainly was the perception 25 years after the war ended. It was certainly the perception of the winning side as they were making their television and their revisionist histories about World War II and about, you know, the early versions were going to be, you know, so there's there's just no way. So I I can see the push to say, see, the Nazis are still not going to win. And I got that. Still kind of mongers war a little bit. I can understand exactly why this was written the way that it was written mm-hmm. using this exact subject as its as its linchpin because twenty five years after the war, mm-hmm. standing in America, mm-hmm. you want to believe that we did the right thing. Right. And you want to believe that, especially at going into, this is Vietnam era. 
Yes. So the push here, I got to, the writers were not unaware of what they were doing. And we've said over and over that there's a really progressive thing where Star Trek gets to push new boundaries because it's sci-fi and because maybe nobody's paying attention or the fights that Roddenberry has uh, or the entire show has with uh, who are the people who say, no, no, you can't put that on there. The censors. The censors. Thank you. And that's, that's a really big deal. So they chose it very, very specifically. I have to believe that. And if you're going to have a future that's built on the idea of at some point, Earthlings figure out we all get to get along and we don't push war. Then you go back in time and say, oh, but not now. Peace is what is what can't happen now. Uh-huh. And I guess that that's what had to happen because the timeline is already written. Uh, but that's the sticking point for me. You can't push peace and then be like, oh, but but not now. Well, it, it, it's an interesting spot for their linchpin. And honestly, you could pick any spot for a linchpin and say that moment right there altered things. Right. And, right. you know, and in order for it to happen, you know, I mean, what if it was the Revolutionary War? But in order for it to happen, we still have to go through the Civil War and we still have to go through the, you know, the Spanish-American War and we still have to go through the World War One, and we, you know – well, you know, it's just setting all of history back the way it was supposed to be, according to the rules of this particular episode. Right. The Kirk will figure a clever way out is not in this episode. He has to go through the tragedy, and it makes it all the more hard-hitting. Yeah. The clever way out is to let it play out the way that it's supposed to. Yep. No matter That's how much it hurts. Way. Yeah. He he just has to – in order to resolve everything, they have to let things happen the way they're supposed to happen. And that, for a man of action, in is, love with a woman. Yep, yep. And the action he has to take is literally to do – like worse than nothing. He has to stop somebody else from doing something too. That's yep. the action he has to take. Oh. I mean, it's it, it. Not only does he not save her, he has to stop McCoy from saving her too. He has to take an yep. action, like he, he killed her. <laughs> he let her die. She was going to die anyway. She had to die. He knew this. Yeah, but in but from his perspective, he killed her, and, and you know, and that's when I look at at that moment of when when character and story come together, and you think about what is. What is the story from Kirk's point of view in that moment? And he had to take an action that was deliberately going to, you know, oh, and I know I keep saying it over and over again, but it's so, I don't, you want to see Andy cry? Watch this episode with me. I cry, <sighs> I cry every time. Why does this one hit you so hard? I'll, I'll tell you the moment. The, it's not even when she dies. Mm-hmm. It's when Spock says, Edith Keeler must die to Kirk mm-hmm. and and the look on Kirk's face when, when there's, I mean, it's just like, that is the whole episode in one five second right. ch- yep. chunk. It's, yeah. ev- it's everything about that episode um, except the actual relationship between him and Edith Keeler. And and that moment right there, I'm, I, I, I can't even describe how connected I am to it, but I get so choked up by 
I can tell. Yeah. Ah. Now you know how everyone feels about the notebook. I can't relate. You can because you are. This is your this is everybody else anyway. This is my notebook. I had to, okay, this is my notebook. This is okay. your notebook. All right, so that's what it's like. Good. Then I don't have to watch the notebook. How about that relationship build? How about the falling in love? Yes. The moment when you see the close-up on their hands mm-hmm. as they put their hands together while they're walking down the street. So beautiful. So brilliantly moving the story along. I never for a moment felt like it was forced. I didn't think so either. And I loved this is exactly this is exactly the woman, the kind of woman who would have this exact impact on him. Nobody else. He sees her, he could see her in his future. They agree on a lot of the things, their fundamentals and their morals and uh, all that's really driving. This is what happens when you treat a woman not as a prop. It becomes very effective. Yeah. Yes. It's beautiful. It really is. And she kisses him. Yes, she does. On the stair. It's like the first It's very kiss, natural. She kisses him. He just he literally takes it. There is there is no Captain Kirk going after the woman no, stuff. It's beautiful. At all. Yeah. She he stands there and lets her kiss him and then she walks away from it with all the power. And he looks like He's in love. Yes. Uh, you know, it's beautiful. You could just see the little <laughs> hearts coming out of his eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, the little Cupid hearts coming out of his eyes. It was so Charming. Yes. All of these moments I'm describing to you are really just... You clearly love this one. I can't believe this one isn't your favorite. I'm going to need you to get some Kleenex. I have a theory that part of the reason this particular episode is so impactful is that they are not in space outfits. And the second that Spock and Kirk put on regular human clothing, even if it's out of era, especially for me, 2000 teens, uh, they become more human and it's, and becomes so much more relatable. Yes. Yes. Is that, do you think that's real? Because I think that's real. I do. I think it's absolutely real. And I'm thinking about the recommendations I've made and I'm thinking about other time travel episodes where they, where they end up in the period Mm -hmm. or in the period look. Right. Um, I think about, I've mentioned it before, Spock in a fedora. Yeah, I was expecting you know? once we got back in time, I was like, oh, this is going to be the one where I see him in a fedora and it's not. He's wearing a beanie the entire time. Yeah, but they do put a lot of hats on him, right? Yeah. Like those ears, those ears got to be covered up, right? Oh, uh, which has to lead to the comedy that was in this episode, which thank God it was there because it balanced so beautifully, I thought, going from space battle to, I mean, and it was immediate space battle. I really liked that. I was like, yes, sci-fi show. Woo battle um straight into kind of pure comedy sci-fi style and then into super romantic drama i thought this was a very well balanced episode and i know i've complained before about timing and other stuff like that not for this one i liked i liked this yeah one. Uh, it, but spock's ears spock's ears he um yes right yeah right so so that hat that he had to keep on putting on right um oh, just you'll the- see you'll see him in um bandanas they will put him in they put him in a nazi helmet once okay uh right they 
they cover those ears up in a variety of different ways. Uh, sometimes for fun, sometimes for, for, for serious. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this was the first time you got to see the how are we going to mask those ears and the eyebrows too, which, you know, he tried to keep that beanie down. Right. right? Uh, how, did, did you like him in this beanie? Uh, you know, not as much. You need the ears, huh? So my line this time wasn't even Spock's line. It's Kirk's line. My friend is obviously Chinese. <laughs> I see you've noticed the ears. They're actually easy to explain. He caught his head in a mechanical rice picker. Right. <laughs> is that racist? I don't even know, but it's so funny. I'm going to go ahead and say <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it, it was racist. It was probably not even considered to be racist at the time. I don't know. I don't know what racism was back in the 60s. Right. It was a different thing. And when I say I don't know, it's not that I don't know. It's that... It wasn't considered racist. Not necessarily was it racist. What people took offense to was different. There, yeah. Back then. Yeah. And a comment like this would have been a precursor to, I mean, you know, Archie Bunker. Mm, very. I think, I think about, I think about the television show All in the Family, which, which I don't know, maybe some of our younger audience has never seen, but, um, it, it was a sitcom in the seventies starring, uh, Carol O'Connor as, uh, a man named Archie Bunker. And he was, he was Joe everyday American and he was a racist and he was a sexist and, and the comedy came from it. And at the time, a lot of that, it was just, it was a different, what people took offense to and what people found funny has changed. I still found it funny. That's all I have to say about that. It's funny because it's Spock. I don't know. Like it's, and then watching Spock just let them let him dangle. He's like, really? Maybe it's because of the accident. Maybe you should mention that. And and then Kirk's like, oh yeah. <laughs> like, so I I enjoyed that a lot. That was fun. Oh, it's a great <laughs> moment. It's a it's a it's a fun. It, there's a lot of fun little moments that Yeah, there were a lot of kind of throwaway lines in this one that I I enjoyed. You you mentioned the guy with the beard. (laughs) I love the the, the tragedy of the guy that takes McCoy's phaser. Oh, I didn't even know what was happening. Have we seen – surely I've seen phasers before. But I was like, he didn't just beam. He, I don't know what happened there. No, he's gone. He killed himself. That was a bad thing. The Guardian – is so extremely obviously a Stargate. And Stargate just totally ripped off that entire idea and made an entire movie and show around it. Well, let's talk about that. You're right. It is. But it, I, I think this is amazing. I never even considered that. Oh, my gosh. The second I saw it, I was like, oh, that's Stargate. Stargate. It's a Stargate. It's going to flush. And then it didn't flush. It fogged and lightning kind of. Although, who knows, the CG might have changed with that. Uh, um, but no, that was, it was so very much a Stargate, a sentient one, but nonetheless. Stuff that Stargate has, or Stargate, stuff that Star Trek has influenced. Ding, 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 ding. This episode was written by master science fiction author Harlan Ellison. Okay. 
he shows up every year at Star Trek conventions. He has there are there are books written about this particular episode. A lot of people, this is the the classic episode, and he often is on on a panel I can of see some that. sort talking about Star Trek writing and science fiction writing in general. Um, but this is just a different kind of Star Trek story. Yeah, it it is. Yeah, very much. So, and I wanted, I just wanted to make sure to mention Harlan Ellison, who uh, I think provided us with just one of the best stories I've ever, I've ever seen. So thank you, Harlan. Oh, this one won the Hugo Award. This one won the Hugo Award for science fiction excellence. There's a, yeah, there's a, there's a good reason why people love this. Are you familiar with George Takei, who plays Haikuru Sulu and his, and his story? of being interned in the Japanese internment camps. Yes. Um, and he has a phenomenal documentary. Is it available through a site or something, maybe? It is on YouTube Red. It's available on Amazon Video. It is available on Google Play. So it's. I'm just going to say on streaming right. services. You might have to pay, but I was going to say, I have heard him, just because I follow him on Twitter, obviously, he's... He's just super fun, but very political, uh, as he has, uh, in my yes. opinion, every right to be. He has experiences just like the rest of us yes. voters. So, uh, the, so I so I've heard some stuff of his history and some of the stuff that he's put out there. Uh, really intense, really intense. Yeah, there's a he, the documentary is called Two B to K, so T O B E to K T. Now I feel like I have to spell it. T-A-K-E-I. There we go. 2B2K. And it's available on different streaming services. So you can, you know, just go out there and search for it. Right. Um, but it, if you go to beginningthetrek.com, I will make sure to put a link to oh, there you go. places that you can get it. Yeah. yeah. So you can just come to our website and we will have a link uh, associated with this episode. Yeah. Um, fantastic documentary that that talks about the struggle of – well, it you know it's the World War II. It's one of those shameful things that we did as part of as part of all in the name of national security. Yeah, it's scary what happens there. Do you? And this is just me, Jessica, asking Andy. Mm-hmm. Do you think that humans are ever going to get to the point where we can be? as idealistic to even believe that a Star Trek existence is possible because there's still war in Star Trek. That's what makes it dramatic. But the Federation is pushing peace. That's the mission. That's the goal. And it's what most of the episodes seem to be about one way or another is, is some sort of exploration, some sort of pushing that agenda of working together, of, of creating more when we work when we work as a team. Uh, right. And that's what I think Star Trek is about. And do I think that it's possible? Was the question, do I think it's possible? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm too cynical. I don't even think it's possible. I got that. And, and you know, maybe it's a sign of the times. Maybe you just haven't had enough Star Trek in you yet. <laughs> um, I say that with my tongue kind of in my cheek a little bit, but not yeah. not completely because that is kind of what i'm up to is introducing themes of hope themes of exploration themes of going you know, 
we're not perfect in this show. I mean, we know we're not. Right. We, we, we're not always the good guys. Not always. Right. Sometimes we're the bad guys. Sometimes we're spies stealing stuff. Unprovoked. Right. But, but overall, we're working on it. Right. You know, we're, it's, you're either moving toward it or you're moving away from it. And I believe that if enough people can start to move toward it, we can get there. Right. I don't know if we will get there, but we can get there. I, I, I love your hope. I don't have it. I think that humans are doomed to be awful. We're horrible beings. Well, <laughs> I got that, but we're only 12 episodes in, so. So after all of that sappiness, what is happening next week? Yeah, so okay, let's let's dry our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> because we're going a different way next week. Um we're going to close out our original series track. <gasps> the last one happening. The final episode of our original. Now, we're not done with Captain Kirk yet. We still have animated still series. A, a little bit of animated, and then we've got a couple of movies we're going to watch as okay. supplementals. All so, right. So we still got some Kirk coming, but we're going to close out the original series with an episode called Space Seed. Space Seed. So should I give my here's what I think it's going to be about? Yeah, if you do, you do you have a now now here's the thing. Okay. Before you do that, okay. You should know exactly what this episode is about. Oh no. You should even be able Oh god. to potentially tell me who's in it. Really? Yes. Yes. I don't know why my mind just went straight to Whoopi Goldberg. Um, <laughs> now, now I'm may- maybe just stalling a tiny bit because I don't, I don't know who should be in this. How am I supposed? I mean, I know, I think I get the general idea because you you mentioned eugenics before. Yes. And I don't know that you've mentioned other things before that, but it sounds like you have. So now I'm nervous. Yeah. Ah. Uh, hmm. Well, you don't have to be nervous. It makes me nervous. Okay, I think that Space Seed is about a uh I want to say pill but maybe it's not a pill it's some kind of device or a virus because we haven't had that recently that is going to be super strength or super speed or superhumans running around and how does the enterprise deal with uh that super super soldiers in their ranks. <laughs> so, so Space Seed was the twenty um, second episode of the first season. Oh, way back. Of Star Trek. Okay. So we're going back to the first season. So, and, and you know, I've kind of mentioned it. They don't really remember what happened in previous episodes. So you can pretty much watch most of the original series in any order, and that's how I watched okay. it. I don't have any idea what order I watched them in. That was the whole point, and boy, right. I take a long... They don't need to be watched in order. They don't have I an I just took a long, arc. clunky way to get there. Space Seed was originally aired on February 16th, 1967, so it is a little more than 50 years old. When will you be watching Space Seed? I will be watching Space Seed on December 3rd, and that's going to be at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, uh, that's when I will be tweeting out first impressions at begin the trek hashtag BTT hashtag space seed. 
So you have a fantastic Thanksgiving. And you too. And to all you out there, you all have a Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving as well. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Enjoy Space Seed, and we'll see you next time on Begin the Trek. That was horrible. We'll see you next time on Beginning the Trek. Oh, my God. Bye, Jessica. (laughs) Nobody ever knows why I'm laughing hysterically at you once you sign off. I love watching your face as I answer that question. Because you're like, really? Really? Are you sure? Really? (laughs) Really? He's not kidding. He really believes this. Star Trek. I believe this because of Star Trek. <laughs>